All right. Um, thank you all for coming out to hear the word this morning. I know that there are a lot of things that you can be doing, but instead you came out and you chose to hear the word of God. Um, as we were talking about um, on part one of this part two of this two part episode, we were discussing the church today. Is it a metaphor or is it still the bride of Christ? All right. And where we left off was a question that led me to ask, what do I mean by is the church still the bride of Christ? Or rather, I should say, what do I mean by the church still being the bride of Christ? What do I mean? And the question that led me to ask that, one of the questions, rather, I should say, that led me to ask that was, will the church still be raptured in the end times? Okay. And where I last left off, I was talking about First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I was talking about how the dead will rise in Christ. Okay. Um, I don't want to continue to talk about that because I already did. Um, it was just in, I just finished it in, um, the part one of this two-part episode. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 54. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 54. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 54. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So you see, this goes back to what I was reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, about the dead will rise, okay? 
Now, when Christ comes back for the church, when the church is raptured, all right, those who remain steadfast to the church, all right, those who has salvation in Christ, I should say this rather, those who have salvation in Christ, okay, when they died, and those who have salvation in Christ, when Christ returns, okay, and who is part of the church, okay, they shall be taken up to heaven when Christ returns for his bride. Still, the dead shall rise first. In other words, the people who, all the people who, um, I'll give you an example, for instance. Let's say that Christ were to return tomorrow, okay? I'm still alive, all right? I'm still alive. And Christ is going to return for his church, return for his bride, okay? Now, the people that he's going to take first are, let's say, um, all the people who were a part of the church in... Let's say the 1800s, the 1700s, the 1600s, the 1500s. All the people who remained steadfast to the church who had salvation way before me who were dead, okay, and who died before Christ returned, they will be raised, they will rise from the dead, and Christ will take them first. Then they will take me. Then he will take me, rather, I should say. Okay, who is still living. All right. Now, when we raise, when the dead raises, rather, I should say, and when I go up to heaven, when Christ brings me up to heaven, when Christ brings, or when Christ takes his bride up to heaven, the church, all right. We will be new people, all right? When we, when we receive salvation, when we first receive salvation, yes, we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. We become new creations in Christ Jesus, okay? That's true. But when Christ returns for his bride, okay, we will no longer be a part of this earth, this corruptible, this corruptible earth. This, this, this wicked earth, okay? We will no longer be a part of this, okay? We will be in heaven, a holy place, a holy place. All of heaven, which is holy ground, okay? And because all of heaven is holy ground, all of this... Corruptible, this corruptible body that we are living in, okay, 
we will receive new bodies, incorruptible bodies. Okay? And we will then have a new bodies and because and we will put on and the Bible says the mortality shall put on immortality. What that means is we will no longer die. Death will be no more. Death is swallowed up in victory. All right. Christ has overcome death. We will then become immortal. That's right. Now, I said that I was going to read <laughs> a few verses on this question. Turn with me to the book of John. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter chapter 14, verses 3. Book of John, chapter 14, verses 3. Christ Jesus is telling his disciples. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So Christ Jesus, he, he had told his disciples, he was telling his disciples that he would one day return for them. Okay? He's not telling them when, but one day Christ Jesus would return for his people. Those who believe in him. All right? He would go. And he, when he died, when he ascended into heaven, he would be going to, pre to prepare a place for us. All right? Now, I'll tell you this. Okay? Christ spends all this time preparing a place for me. I know it's going to be beautiful. So I can tell you that it is well worth the wait. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, out of all the verses that I read on this question, perhaps none describes, describes this question the best or describes the answer to this question the best than the book of Revelations chapter 19 verses 7 through 9 book of Revelations chapter 19 verses 7 through 9 let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready his wife is referring to the church. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, 
Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So what that's saying is that, okay, in the end, when Christ comes back for the church, the church will be ready. The church will be made ready. Okay. So just like Christ is preparing a place for us in heaven, the church is preparing itself. Okay. It sounds kind of weird. Okay. But the church is preparing itself. For Christ's return. Okay. Just like how the Bible tells us that we as people, we as Christians, rather I should say, we as Christians should be ready so that when Christ comes for us, all right, we will have no excuses or anything like that. All right, we'll be ready. Okay. Same with the church. When Christ comes, the church will be ready. What does that mean, be ready? Verse 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. What that means when it says the church will be ready is that when God comes for the church and when Christ Jesus comes for the church and Christ Jesus looks down on the church and Christ Jesus looks at the church, Christ Jesus will be able to say, wow, this, this is what my people established and this is what I want. This is how my people should be behaved. This is what I want. That's what it means when it says that the church will be made ready. His wife has made herself ready. I'm going to move on to the next question. That led me to ask, what do I mean by the church still being the bride of Christ? Is the church still the bride of Christ? Or is it just a metaphor? And again, this is a very important question, particularly in today, in today's age. Okay. I mean, I'm sure that this has been going on um, for so long, or this problem has been going on for so long, but I say particularly in today's age because, you know, it's my generation, and this is the generation that I know, so. Next question is, should the church stand up for Christian and Christ-like morals? 
Should the church stand up for Christian and Christ-like morals? You know, that leads me to a question, to a similar question that I asked earlier in part one of this two-part episode. I asked, do people believe that Christ's way in the church is the old way? This question is similar to that question. Should the church stand up for Christian and Christ-like beliefs and morals? You know, every once in a while, and this makes me smile, it does. It lets me know that there are still righteous people out there. Okay, you have pastors who will not give up Christ. They know what the church is about. They believe in what the church is about. They believe in the Bible. They believe in Christ and they lean unto Christ Jesus. They put their faith in Christ, okay? They, they don't change the gospel or the preaching of the word for anything or anybody. They remain steadfast to the word. They remain steadfast to the church. Despite opposition, despite persecution, they don't care. They remain steadfast to the word. And that makes me smile. It does. And the reason why it makes me smile is because there's so many other pastors that don't stand up for Christian morals. So many pastors who are no longer ambassadors for Christ. They do not represent Christ. And I shouldn't have to smile when a person stands up for Christ Jesus, when a person stands up against persecution or opposition, um, when people come, when people come against their faith, all right, and they stand up to them and they remain steadfast to the word. I shouldn't have to smile because that should be expected of, of us Christians, it should be, all right? And yet, it makes me smile because that rarely happens nowadays. Not because there are few Christians, not because there are few churches, but because there are few pastors that are willing to do that because so many pastors 
are willing to give up what they should not give up. Also that they can further themselves, they can further their ministry. So this leads me again to ask the question, what do I mean by the church still being the bride of Christ? Should the church stand up for Christian and Christ-like morality, or should we just stay in the church, stay behind the pulpit, or just stay in the pews and just listen to what the preacher has to say on Sunday, you know, and then go home, have dinner, act like it never happened, you know, and just keep it inside. Keep everything inside. And to speak out is um, and to speak out is is just causing chaos and it's going against the law and Christ wants us to submit to authority, so we should not speak out against those who are speaking against Christ. Because if we speak out against them, if we speak out against persecution, then we are not submitting to authority. And that is not of Christ. First of all, we should always submit to authority, okay? However, Christ always comes first. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are Christians. We are soldiers in the army of the Lord, all right? We represent Christ Jesus, okay? Not just inside the church, not just inside our house, but when we go outside, all right, pastors, um, you are to speak the word in the whole entire word. All right, don't get nervous when you're reading the Bible and you come across a part in scripture that, you know, sounds like other people wouldn't like it. Or. It sounds like if you speak from this um, part of the scripture, you might lose some friends. So you start sweating and start asking yourself, well, should I read from this part or should I not? I don't want to lose any of my congregation. We need to remain steadfast to God. Okay, we need to stand up for Christian 
and Christ-like morals. I said and Christ-like morals because a lot of people talk about Christian morals, all right? But it's one thing to say Christian morals, all right? That can be a very broad term. So we have to be more specific and say for Christian and Christ-like morals, okay? Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 20, verses 28, because I want to speak more on that, because this question, I mean, this, right, this question really stands out to me. And it actually stands out to a lot of people. Okay. It actually stands out to a lot of people. Should the church stand up for Christian and Christ-like morality or morals? Or should it just roll over and just, you know, stick its head in its shell? Stick its head in the sand? Okay. As pastors, as leaders... As people in the congregation, as grown-ups in the congregation, as people who are a part of the church, as people who know the church and how the church should be. Should we stand up for Christ-like morals? Or should we just keep quiet? And when we see someone trying to persecute the church, we should just let it happen because, I mean, what are the chances that it will ever happen to us? What are the chances that it will ever happen to our church? Whether it happens or it doesn't happen to your church, all right? If it does happen to your church, what's going to happen because you never stood up before? What, all of a sudden you're going to stand up now when it happens to your church? Or even if it doesn't happen to your church. It might not happen to your church, but you know what? It's still happening to the church, all right? And, you, and, and, and you're not just a part of just a single church. No, you're a part of the entire body of Christ, all right? You might belong to a specific church. You might be a member of a specific church, all right? But you are a part of the entire body of Christ. Right now, I belong to a church in China. I belong to a church in the Middle East. I belong to a church in North Korea. I belong to a church um, in Mexico. I belong to the church down, down my street. If it is a Christian church and if it is and if it is a part of the body of Christ, then I belong to that church. And as long as it is um, a righteous church. I represent that church. All right. Book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves 
and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You are overseers of the church. You are to shepherd the church. The church of God. You represent that church because you are representing God. God, this church was built on Christ's blood. The death of Christ had paid for the Christian church. All right. We are to represent this church. We are to stand up for this church when we see the church being persecuted or when we or when we um, begin to um, feel pressure from the outside world or from other people that want to see the church fail. We are to stand up and represent. That is what it means to be a soldier in the army of the Lord. When it is time to fight back and take a stand, we fight back and we take a stand. Now, I don't mean fight back as in, all right, start throwing punches or, or anything like that. Or, or I don't mean that kind of fighting. The kind of fighting that I mean is representing Christ. Do not give him up. Remain steadfast to his word and to his name. All right? And you stand up and you tell these people how they are wrong. And you come at them with scripture. You fight them with scripture. All right. Wow. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting heavy into, into that. Into that question. But. This. This last question before I move on. This last question that led me to ask, what do I mean by the church still being the bride of Christ? This last question. Overall, is Christ still the head of the church? To be clear, to just put the question out there, all right? No beating around the bush, all right? No sugarcoating anything. Just putting it out there. Plain and simple. Is Christ still the head of the church? Turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 18.
The book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 18. Is Christ still the head of the church? The answer is yes, plain and simple. Plain and simple question. Is Christ still the head of the church? Plain and simple answer, yes. The book of Colossians chapter 1 verses 18 reads, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So you see, it says right there, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in all things he may have the preeminence. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. Yes, Christ is still the head of the church. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 through 23. Book of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 through 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I'm going to read that again. And he put all things under his feet. Under his feet. Christ is up here, the church is down here. Christ is on top. Everything is under his feet. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. You see, the church has its elders who hold certain responsibilities, okay, that oversee certain things. We look at the pastor as the main leader of the church. The shepherd of the church, okay, he oversees all the other elders. He makes sure everything runs smoothly, all right? All the responsibility falls on the pastor when it comes down to it, okay? But Christ is to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. So you see, yes, the pastor, all the, you know, the church falls on the pastor, okay, the pastor has all the responsibilities of the church when it comes down to it, okay?
But Christ has power over the pastor. He is the head over all things to the church, including the pastor. Okay? So in the end, Christ has the final say-so. That's why, that's why you hear verses that say um, how Christ will destroy anybody who defiles his temple. Okay? That's why it's going to be Christ who is going to rapture his church, his bride. All right. The pastor isn't going to destroy the people who who defiles their church. OK. They're not going the pastors are going to isn't going to be the one who um, raptures the church. All right. In the end, Christ is the head of the church, not the pastor. Yes, we look to the pastor to be our leader. But in the end, the response, I don't want to say the responsibility. Okay. But in the end, Christ has the final say so. Okay. And it seems as though a lot of pastors forget that. Okay. They forget to lean unto Christ. They forget to um, ask for Christ's advice. Okay. They forget to pray and go to God first and ask what God would have them do. A lot of pastors forget that. They think that they own the church. That because they are the leader, that because they are the shepherds, because they are the overseers of the church, they think that that one church belongs to them. So they have to make all the decisions and they have to lean onto their own understanding. But they often, a lot of times, and I'm not saying every pastor. All right. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not saying every pastor, but a lot of pastors tend to forget that in the end, God has the final say so. Christ Jesus has the final say so. And what goes on in the church. OK. Christ is the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All right. Now, I said before, why do they call it why do they call it the bride of Christ? What is the bride of Christ? Why 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 the bride of Christ? Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verses 23. All right. What exactly is the church? I mean, I was asking all these questions before, you know, but I wasn't really telling you what the church is. What exactly is the church? Some of you may say, what kind of question is that? I already know what the church is. 
I know what the church is. What is the means, or rather I should say, we know what the means of the church is, but what will be the final result of the church? How many people actually know that? How many people know what the final result of the church will be? The final result? Well, I don't understand. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of people don't understand what the church really is. See, the church is like a means to an end. All right. Many of us, we know what the means are. We know that it's a place um, where we as Christians fellowship, where we worship, uh, where we learn about Christ, where people get baptized, all right, where people receive salvation, all right, where we um, accept um, the Lord's table, all right, but what exactly is the church? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. That's why we call it the bride of Christ. Just like the husband is the head of the wife, Christ Jesus is the head of the church. All right. And when we receive salvation. We become one with Christ. We become one with the body of Christ. Okay. The church belongs to Christ. Okay. The church belongs to Christ Jesus. When we enter when we enter the church, when we enter the Christian church, we are entering someplace holy. We are entering someplace sacred. The body of Christ. The church and the body of Christ are one. Just like when you become married, the husband and wife are then one. Still, even though you are you are one, even though each of you are one, the husband is still the head of the wife. Now, when we become one with Christ, with Christ's body, all right? When the church becomes one with Christ, because the church is I want to I want to word this right, okay? Seeing as how the church is a part of Christ, okay? And Christ is the head of the church, that makes the church the bride. Okay? 
Now, I mean, I can go on forever about what exactly is the church. I mean, the list of verses goes on and on and on. All right. If I wanted to continue with this question, what exactly is the church? This would have to be like, man, um, a 10 part episode. <laughs> okay. And I don't think I have enough room for that or enough time for that even. Okay. Now I want to, um, move on to the next question. Okay. How do different people see the church today? How do different people see the church today? And it's very sad because this part that I want to talk about right now talks about false teachers. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. These are wells without water. Clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Deceptions of false teachers. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. That happens so much today. And I've been to so many churches like this where I think um, I, I found a new church or maybe I'm looking for a new church. And um, I may go to a, a certain type of church and. The first time I go to a new church, I hear them, all right? And right off the bat, I can tell that, okay, this church is full of nonsense. The stuff that these preachers are preaching. It's not like, okay, maybe they accidentally said the wrong thing. Or, you know, um, what they're saying, okay, um, is maybe what their denomination believes, but they event, but overall still they believe in the gospel of Christ Jesus. No, I'm talking about, there have been a few churches that I've been to where it's like, they just say some off the wall type of stuff, Okay. And then what's even worse is that after the preacher is um, finished saying what he has to say, you hear the congregation say, yes, Lord. Amen. Amen, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'm looking at them. I really am. And I'm looking at them. I'm thinking to myself, Do these people even know what they're saying hallelujah to. I mean, they're saying, yes, Lord, and, you know, 
do they even know what they're saying amen to? And they just don't know. That is why I often say it's so important to study the word of God. Because there are false preachers out there in the church that try to corrupt the minds of other Christians. And because so many Christians don't read their Bible, their minds do become corrupted. All right. Turn with me to the book of 3 John, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. The book of 3 John, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now, this is, I want, this is a set of scriptures that I really want to talk to you about. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Now, you see right now, this is giving a specific example. All right, of of evil that goes on in the church. This this was going on in the church at the time. Okay, John was describing this one person. All right, um, his name was um, Diotrephus. Okay, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is the only time he's mentioned in the in the Bible. All right. But it's a great set of scripture to focus on because it tells you the kind of evil that was going on in this person's church that this per that this person was at that what this person was actually doing in the church. All right. Because this person was supposed to be a leader in the church. And yet this is what he was doing. And this is what a lot of people do in the church. A lot of leaders, rather, I should say, and a lot of pastors do in the church. All right. This guy, Diotrephus, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. You know, I look at this guy, Diotrephus, and I could see a person in my mind, like a very corrupt preacher, just stealing money from the collection plate and just, you know, counting it. You know, with his thumb. And very cruel to the elders in his church. But 
these are the type of things that we need to look out for, that we need to that we need to watch for and be vigilant for in the church. Okay? Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. How do different people see the church today? And by different people, I mean the world. And by the world, I mean people that do not know God. And people who are against God. John chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own did not receive him. You know, that's, that's very similar to the church today, to how people view the church today. A lot of people don't receive the church well. Some don't receive them at all. You know. And it's very sad. You know. Verse 11 said, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. It's also like many Christians with the church. A lot of people who call themselves Christians anyway, they seem like they have a problem with the church. So they reject the church. And all they do is complain and say, Oh, the church is this way. The church is that way. I don't like the church because they're like this. I don't like the church because they're like that. And this and that and the other and woo, woo, woo. And it's like even people who call themselves Christians, they don't even receive the church of God. They reject the church of God. So that leads me to another important question. Okay, very important question. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Romans, chapter 12, verses, I'm sorry, not 1 through 5, um, verses 4 through 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So that leads me to this one question. Okay. Is the church about the community or about Christ or both? And, you know, I said this would be a two-part series, but apparently this is going to have to be a three-part series. So I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to finish this up with a part three, all right?
and I want to thank you all for listening.